And so uh, Alex preached some years ago, and the last time he preached, we were just so grateful. And so trying to give him as many opportunities as he wants to take to uh, bless us. And so thank you, Alex, for coming and bringing the word to us. Let's give Alex a hand as he comes and serves us in this way. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. It's good to be here with you all. Um, <clears throat> so our passage today is John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Um, I'm not sure if there's anyone in the back that could hand out some Bibles, but um, while the Bibles are being handed out, I'll just go ahead and start reading. <clears throat> the passage will be on, let's see, in the Blue Bibles, it's on page 584. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Amen. 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 Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, God, for this season of um, just celebrating the coming of our King Jesus. We thank you, God, for the fact that um, this is only part of the story, God. We thank you, God, that the story goes beyond um, a shameful death and a shameful crucifixion, which we'll remember on Good Friday, Lord, but it goes on to an Easter Sunday, God, where you rose raised Jesus from the dead, just as Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so, God, we ask that you would quiet our hearts today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to tune out any different things that we may be thinking about, God, um, so that your word can enter into our hearts, Lord, and so that we could be changed. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, again, I'm glad to be here with you all. So since there's so many people <laughs> um, that haven't met me and that don't know me, um, again, my name is Alex Smith, and I went to the University of Chicago. Um, I'm glad that I made it through. <laughs> Graduated in 2012, and as I was in the University of Chicago, God just really called me to um, become a pastor. Very clearly, I went on to do some ministry at University of Chicago and at a community college in Chicago called Malcolm X College, and... I've just been very grateful to have the opportunity to continue to grow in um, learning God's Word, and I really love studying the Word, and um, it's great to be able to have the opportunity to share the Word with you all. Um, a little bit more about me, I am getting married in July, and so, yes, hallelujah, amen, yes, 
Amen. I'm so excited. I'm, just, I'm really excited. And um, I just came back from seeing my fiance. Just got back early yesterday morning. And so as I was writing this sermon, um, and you see all of the praise and everything that comes up to God in this passage, um, it was something that I could definitely relate to. Just shouting, Hosanna. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, God, for this amazing opportunity to just um, look forward to life with my new wife um, in, in so many months. And so, yes. So with that, let's enter into the passage. Um, so something that's important to remember about this passage is that it's part of a larger book of the Bible, John, book of John, one of the Gospels that looks at the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus um, and one of the things that's really important is to recognize what comes before this, this passage in John chapter 11. And so in John chapter 11, Jesus performs one of his greatest miracles. Um, it's the miracle of raising um, one of his friends, Lazarus, from the dead. And so that passage is, is one that's really striking. Um, it's something that is told in every single gospel. And it's a passage that um, it shows that Jesus, he... He goes to Bethany where Lazarus is, and um, he was initially sent for by Martha and Mary and and different people um, to let him know, you know, Lazarus is dying. Can you come and heal him? And Jesus takes his time. He doesn't necessarily run to go save Lazarus, um, but instead he recognizes that this is an opportunity for God to be glorified. So by the time Jesus arrives, Lazarus has already been dead for four days. And people have already mourned. They've already lost hope that Lazarus will live. Um, Martha believes that, you know, Lazarus will rise from the dead someday, someday far in the future. But she never believed that Jesus would actually raise Lazarus from the dead right then and there. And that's that's what Jesus does. He calls Lazarus from the tomb. And Lazarus was binded up already in all these cloths and linens. And you... You have to imagine he's thinking, what's going on right now? Why do I stink, maybe? Um, Why am I wrapped in all these these death cloths, these cloths that were used to bury people? But he's called from the tomb, and he's raised from the dead. And so after this point, the Pharisees recognize that, you know, so many people just saw this miracle, and so many people are now starting to believe in Jesus in a brand new way. And so the Pharisees and the religious rulers, they're very angry, And they're ready to kill Jesus and start plotting to kill him. And so this passage, um, John chapter 11 and and forward, um, one of the things that really stands out is that we're looking forward now to the impending death um, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so now in our passage in John chapter 12, in the first verse, chapter 12, um, we see that the story begins with this big crowd. In, um, in Jerusalem, and they're already there for something that's called the Passover Festival. And so the Passover Festival, it was a celebration that um, the Jewish people recognized. It was a celebration of um, an event that happened previously with um, the ancestors of Israel, with Moses um, leading the people out of, out of Egypt. Um, and the Passover Festival was a recognition of the final plague that God had um, against the Egyptians and that he used to deliver the Hebrew people. And so this festival was something that everybody was expected to be at. Everybody that recognized themselves as a follower of God, as as a follower of Yahweh, um, they were expected to be there. I kind of think of it as, you know, this type of 
I, I grew up going to a lot of church barbecues and family barbecues, and you know there would always be all these different people from all over that would come, um, and it would be a, a reunion of sorts. And so this was kind of their family reunion, their reunion to come to worship God, to remember this is how God has been faithful to us, to our people. Amen. And it's important to recognize that, um, to recognize the significance of even the Passover, um, because again, this is a passage that looks forward to Jesus' death. And in a way, Jesus will become the Passover lamb um, for the people, um, just for the people in general, (laughs) for the people that are in um, Israel now, for the people that are outside of Israel that are not Jewish. He will become a Passover lamb for them so that God will welcome them. And so in Exodus 12, um, as Pastor Brad preached on just a few weeks ago, there was this lamb that would be slaughtered, and some of the the blood from the lamb, this is kind of gory, sorry, but some of the blood from the lamb would be wiped on the doorposts, wiped along um, the opening to a house, um, and that would be a sign that we are people of God, um, and God would pass beyond that house and not um, inflict that house with the plague of, of losing their firstborn son. And so, in a way, Jesus will become the Passover lamb for all of us. He'll become a Passover lamb. He'll be slaughtered. He'll be killed and crushed um, for the sake of our freedom. And so this is important to, to recognize as we look at this passage. It's not, it's not just some random fact that Jesus comes and that all this will happen um, according to you know the time of the Passover. And as we just talked about with John chapter 11, um, Jesus is a wanted man. And so with the Jewish elite seeking to have him murdered, um, it's probably not in Jesus' best interest for him to, you know, come and make a big show at the biggest Jewish festival um, and to have all the Jewish elite seeing him, you know, basically showing him, showing them up and, you know, just kind of saying, you know, I know you guys are trying to kill me, but I really don't care. <laughs> And that's Jesus' response, though. Jesus um, already decides that he's going to go back to um, Jerusalem. He's going to go back to the region. And the disciples, they really don't um, seem too excited about this. You know, they actually want to live. They want to keep their lives. They want to see their families. They want to see their friends. They want to eat. They want to have a good time. Um, But Jesus has always had kind of a sense of, you know, not really caring about the fact that um, people might be threatening his life. In one passage that I thought of in John chapter 11, um, verses 7 through 10, the disciples are a little concerned about the violence that is threatening Jesus, and they say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? So Jesus just seems like a glutton for punishment in a lot of ways, and... Um, The disciples are having a hard time with that, to say the least. But in this passage, um, we see some of the excitement and some of the hope that comes from the masses, as well as um, the cynicism that the Pharisees are showing. In verse 13, we see that the people went out to meet Jesus. They went out with palm branches, um, and it's most likely that they waved these palm branches in the air, welcoming their king and, and declaring, yes, come our king. This is the time for revolution. In Matthew 21, which is one of the parallel passages to this one, which tells a similar story, um, we see that the palm branches 
Um, we're also laid at the feet of Jesus, at the feet of this cult that was that was um, walking him into the um, into the city that he was riding on into the city, um, and people were also laying down their cloaks um, to welcome their king. And so it was it was pretty normal for a pilgrim to be welcomed, um, for somebody who was traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover festival to be welcomed in some kind of way. But this is an extraordinary welcome. This is a welcome that says you are our king and we recognize you as royalty, as somebody sent by God. They say, Hosanna, save, help. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people shout this, and it's a familiar quote from Psalm 118. It's something that people would sing very often um, around um, the Passover festival time. And as Pastor Brad has said a couple of different times, Hosanna is a word that says save us. It means save us in Aramaic. And so I think one thing to remember is that as we're singing Hosanna today, we sang a few different songs that have Hosanna in it. I think it's good for us to recognize that um, we have our own understanding of what Hosanna means now as people um, that have lived past the Old Old Testament and New Testament, as people that know a little bit more about Jesus' identity than the Jewish people did. uh, We sing Hosanna as people that know Jesus to be a savior, a savior of... um, our souls, and um, he's somebody that will come again, that will come to make all things new and save this entire world. We know that to be true, but the Jewish people might not have known that. And a lot of times, um, it may be easy for us to put on to the Jewish people of that time our own understanding of what this word means and of who Jesus was. But Jesus was probably seen more as a military leader, somebody who would come and you know, transform the whole political landscape, somebody who would overthrow the oppressive Roman Empire. He wasn't viewed as um, somebody that would bring some kind of salvation um, in, in a um, kind of eternal sense, necessarily. And so the image that I got, um, I'm a huge Lion King fan, is... <laughs> They may have had an image of Jesus more as Simba coming back to Pride Rock after Scar has come and, you know, he's ransacked the whole place. He's put his hyenas over everybody and he's become the king of this land. And he thinks, you know, Simba's dead. I'm going to take over. Um, And so people might have seen him as kind of like Simba, Simba coming back and, you know, overthrowing Scar. And eventually there's rain coming down and he roars and he's triumphant and all these things. They may have seen Jesus in that kind of way. Or they may have seen Jesus as, you know, uh, I think a more recent illustration is Katniss Everdeen. I love Hunger Games. Um, Katniss Everdeen, the girl on fire who leads a revolution against President Snow and saves all the different districts from a very terrible practice, a very tyrannical way of, you know, keeping the different districts under oppression through the Hunger Games. And so Jesus would have been seen in this way, as a revolutionary leader um, to transform a political landscape. And it's understandable that the Jewish people would see him in this way or that they would have, you know, this... um, desire to see a political reform happen, more so than thinking about some future salvation. After years of being displaced, conquered, exiled, stomped on, and told that they aren't as valuable as other races and ethnicities, they're tired. 
and they're worn out and they're ready for change. They are not simply concerned about the future because many of them may not have felt the luxury to think more about the future and about Jesus coming to you know, bring a new world and a new kingdom in the future in all of its fullness. Amen. The Jewish people had an understanding of a Messiah who would come and, and bring the promised land back to Israel and who would gather all the people of Israel back into one place and who would you know, trample all the different powers and, and other kingdoms that would come and um, take over Israel and that have oppressed them. And this is something that even the disciples would continue to think of when they, even after Jesus is resurrected and Jesus has taught them all these different secrets and he's about to ascend, but they still ask in Acts 1-6, after all this time of Jesus teaching them these secrets and everything, they ask, are you about to restore the kingdom to Israel? So this was something that was deeply embedded within the Jewish people. It was something that was deeply looked forward to. This political revolution, this um, restoration of of material gain and this restoration of land to the people. The people say, blessed is the king of Israel. And so the people are correct in identifying Jesus as royalty, as as a king, um, as the one that will save him. But they're very limited in their view. Jesus as Messiah is not just concerned with the Jewish people's um, present freedom, but he is also on a mission to bring hope and freedom to all who are broken. Amen. Amen. The gospel that Jesus was preaching, this gospel of the kingdom, was not just a gospel just for the Jewish people to hear, but it's something that actually a lot of the people outside of, um, outside of Israel um, actually accepted a lot more and embraced a lot more. This gospel of a kingdom that was coming, a kingdom that turned everything upside down, that made the, la- the last to be first and the least to be greatest, Um, This is a gospel that was for all people. And so as we look forward in verses 14 through 16, um, Jesus begins to make his triumphant entrance. And so you might imagine that Jesus has this triumphant king. He finds a strong, tall, white stallion, draped in colorful linens, rearing on his hind legs and ready to trot into into the kingdom majestically. I think of, you know, President Obama, you know, with his big motorcade and, you know, all these people riding alongside him and traffic is terrible when he comes into town because people are recognizing that a great leader, our great leader, who is very important to our nation, is here. And so that's what you might expect. But actually, Jesus decides to just kind of grab somebody's young, stumpy donkey Not exactly the symbol of power and majesty, but it's something that he saw fit for his entrance as king. He undercuts the people's value, the people's um, view of him as their national leader by entering the city through humble means and fulfilling the words of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. And so Jesus here is uh, fulfilling Old Testament prophecy 
um, that was written years, years, and years ago, generations ago. He's fulfilling these words. The irony is that the people should be comforted by the coming of their king, but not in the way that they may be thinking, not in some temporal way of, you know, Jesus just coming to um, overthrow Caesar and all the different um, governors of the land. But they should be comforted by the fact that Jesus, the king, has humbled himself, riding in on a donkey, and so he will also humble himself when he goes to the cross just a few days later. He will go to the cross and suffer an undeserved punishment, being crucified by these same people, being scorned by these same people, abused by these same people, spit upon by these people who are declaring him king right now. Jesus will suffer for the sake of freeing people from the sting of death and from separation from God. Amen. And this is good news. And this is good news that as people um, that are living beyond this time, we can celebrate. We can celebrate this good news that, you know, Jesus didn't um, come in, you know, hoping to just make a big scene. He didn't come in just hoping um, that people would accept him. But he came in knowing that um, just a few days later, you know, he could escape from death. He could run away from the impending death. But instead, he continues to walk walk, walk into this um, this time of death that he would be experiencing an extreme pain. Verses 17 through 19 show that the people were gathered around him. And it's, inter- it's interesting to see um, that Jesus emphasized, that John emphasizes something very particular in this passage. And so in verses 17 and 18, we see that the crowd that was gathered with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, they were there. And they were there because of seeing this sign. John repeats a similar phrase earlier in the chapter in verse 9, where he you know, talks about pretty much verbatim, these people when he called, were there when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead. And so it seems like something very important for us to look at. The crowds are swelling and excitement continues to grow around the arrival of Jesus. And one of the main reasons is because of the story of this one man who we don't know a whole lot about other than the fact that he was a friend of Jesus and that he was raised from the dead and that he was brother to Martha and Mary. People continue to talk about this impossible miracle, and in this miracle we see a couple of things. One, the most obvious thing is that Jesus shows a supernatural power over life and death. That's very clear. And that's probably the most jarring thing for a lot of people, that this person can call out to somebody who was dead for four days, and he just walks out as if nothing is wrong. The second thing, though, that stands out, and this stands out more so um, in the Gospel of Luke, is the type of compassion that Jesus shows for the hurting through this miracle. And so one of the things that stands out is that Jesus, he comes to this place, and you know he must have known that he was able to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he still weeps. He still weeps for his friend who is dead. He still weeps with the people that have been mourning for days. He weeps with them. He doesn't just come and just command Lazarus right then and there and say, oh, you guys, why are you weeping? There's no reason for you to weep. Instead, he says, yes, I have the power, but I'm still going to weep for my friend 
And so this is a very um, weird contrast of somebody who is all-powerful and showing this power in very miraculous ways, but he is also deeply compassionate. And he loves each person very deeply. Amen. This is Jesus coming into a world that was created good in the beginning, but was shattered by our rebellion. Our Redeemer, he came and lived among broken people that walked away from the only source of life, who is God. Jesus was tempted in every way. He was knowing, he knew our frailties. He hungered, he thirsted. He was a man. And he also had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. No beauty or majesty that we would desire him. Nothing in his parents um, would draw us to him. It was only through his works, through his words, through the compassion that he showed that people flocked to him. And we had no hope of returning to, um, to God to God and um, returning to the person, to the one who knows us most and knows us better than we know ourselves. We had no hope. We had no hope of living life free from the clutches of, of sin and from all the different things that we see in this world, the darkness that we sang about, um, we're running into marvelous light and out of darkness. We had no hope of escaping from that. And that's where Jesus entered in. Amen. Jesus entered in as our king, ready to overcome the darkness so that we could be free. For freedom, we were made free. He came into the world healing diseases, casting out demons, restoring people's sense of value and dignity when there were people that were cast out of the presence of, um, out of the temple and people that were cast out away from the religious people that represented God. He welcomed them and said that you are a person made in God's image. And he declared that the kingdom of God is here, that the kingdom of God is coming in its fullness, and that this kingdom would right everything that is wrong. And so all things will be made new, all things will be made right. And the coming of this king into Jerusalem signifies an even greater coming, of Jesus coming and being king over all things, having authority over all things. The story ends turning the attention back onto the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they you know, see all of these people crying out to Jesus and they were already threatened, threatened Jesus' life. They were already threatened the people that um, are following Jesus. You know, They're thinking about even killing Lazarus again just to make sure that maybe people would you know, walk away from the fact that um, Jesus healed Lazarus and, and raised him from the dead. The Pharisees are realizing, though, that this is getting them absolutely nowhere, that there's nothing that can stop this movement of God. There's nothing that can stop this kingdom that is coming. There's nothing that can stop this king who is here and who is here to reign forever. Amen. They have a very worldly sense of what it means to be a king, of what it means to have power, and what it means to have authority. But Jesus is, all, is operating in a very different plane from them. And he knows the will of the Father. He knows that God, our creator, already has a plan. And his plan involves Jesus laying down his life for those that um, will reject him. Nothing can stop that. And so as we look at this passage and as we celebrate Palm Sunday, um, this passage is all about 
people's reactions to Jesus. There's different people that are reacting. There's the disciples that um, they don't know what's going on. They don't know why Jesus wants to ride in on a donkey. They're very confused, and they won't realize later until later on what's happening here. There's the Pharisees that are highly cynical. They think that Jesus is actually here to you know, destroy their system of beliefs, destroy the structures that they work so hard um, to, keep, to keep running and to keep going. But then there's also multitudes, there's also crowds of people that are shouting to their king that you are here, and they're shouting for salvation, they're shouting for him to set them free. And as we celebrate the arrival of our king and look forward to the cross and to the resurrection as Jesus did, I want to challenge you today to consider who is this king to you? Do you think of him as just a reformer, as just one who heals, as just one who judges, as just a person who spoke truth? There's a lot of different ways that we can see Jesus. There's a lot of different aspects of Jesus's um, character. And there's a lot of different things that we can try and embrace, that we can hold on to and say, this is who Jesus is. But there's so much more to, to Jesus, our Savior, the one who was man and who was God as well. He's God, and it's hard for us to you know, wrap our minds around all the different aspects of who he is and wrap our minds around all of the mysteries of how he worked in this world. But our response to this king, whether we embrace one aspect of his character or another, should be for us to shout for joy, to worship Jesus with all of our being, and to cry out with all of our concerns, knowing that he hears us, that he loves us, that he sees us in our times of darkness, and that he walks with us through that darkness. And so my question as well to you is, what is your story? When was the last time that you reflected on your own testimony? And this is especially for um, people that are followers of Jesus today. Who have you seen God? How have you seen God work in your life? And what did you do? What did you do and do you continue to follow Jesus? What, how do you follow Jesus? It's important for us to understand our own testimonies, understand our own stories, and see the ways that God has worked in our lives, seeing the ways that he's done miracles, um, the ways that we may have seen him um, call us out of dark places in our lives and call us into um, new places of life, call us to serve different people, even the ways that we've seen him work in our families, in our friends, we should be sharing these things. Because this story, um, this passage just shows us the importance and the power of stories, the importance of people hearing the testimonies of you know, Lazarus being raised from the dead. And we don't even see that Lazarus was the one necessarily telling his own story, but it was just the people around that saw this miracle and continued to tell the story. We have to share the story of God's faithfulness in Scripture, but then our own stories of God's faithfulness in our lives. And so I want to share with you um, a little bit more of my own story as somebody that grew up in a Christian home and grew up with a family that, you know, we study Scripture together, we listen to gospel music a whole lot of the time, and um, I went to church. My father was somebody that preached he is somebody that preaches. I think he's actually preaching next week or something. But um, 
I grew up in a home where, you know, I learned a lot about scripture. And me and my sister, we were raised together to love God, um, to know who God was, and to be able to talk about the scriptures and talk about our own testimonies. And something that um, ended up happening, though, was that my sister would eventually realize that she herself didn't believe in Jesus. She's my older sister, four and a half years older than me, and she's going to be the best lady at my wedding. Um, And so she's somebody that I'm very close to, somebody that I looked up to for my faith. And um, when that happened, I had a crisis of faith of sorts, where I just wondered, how could somebody, you know, walk away from the faith? And what does that mean for my own faith as somebody that's younger than her? And I looked up to her. How can I continue on um, in this faith? Who is God? Who is God? Who is Jesus? What are these different rules that I'm following? I had a very one-dimensional view of God, and a lot of the different ways that I chose to follow Jesus were simply because of fear. I was afraid of, you know, God as an all-powerful God and as judge who would strike me down if things didn't go the right way, if I didn't follow him in all the ways that I knew I should. Um, I knew God as... Um, as the one who had the power to save us from hell and all these different things. And I was very afraid all the time. I didn't see God as father, as somebody that was close to me, that knew me, um, and that cared that I was weak, that cared that, um, that I was struggling. But in July of 2006, I attended a conference where I would have um, my limited view of God challenged. And I would grow to understand God more as as Father, more as um, a God who is near to us. I would I just remember very vividly I was kneeling down um, during a time of worship and songs were playing and um, I just knelt down and I, for the first time in a long time I felt that I could actually say to God all the different things I was feeling, all the different um, crises of faith and um, crises of, of recognizing my own identity as a 16-year-old, trying to find my identity and trying to understand why this world is so broken, trying to understand why my family was broken in so many different ways. These were all things that I was trying to grapple with on my own. And I didn't see God as someone who cared about all these different things. I, I thought that he would look at those things and say, you're just making excuses. Why are you making excuses? of reasons why you're not following me, why you're not able to be perfect. This was a very skewed view of who God is, and it's a view that's very different from the Jesus that we see in this passage. But that time um, in July 2006 was a time where my life was transformed, where my understanding of Jesus transformed me in a new way that um, would make me more um, embracing of my identity as, as somebody that you know might not be the most vocal person, who might not be um, somebody who's always a social butterfly that's kind of able to float around and talk to every single person. There were a lot of different things that I had to grapple with um, and to know that God created me in this way and he loved me and he wanted me to be used in a, in a cer- very specific way using all these parts of my identity. So that's just a little bit of my free, my story of how I became free in a lot of different ways. And that's not to say that, you know, Jesus is just a one-time 
person that just one time he's going to transform you, one time he's going to set you free, and that's all the transformation that you'll ever need in this life. It's a continuous process, and it's something that I've continued to see in different ways, even as my time at University of Chicago came to an end, as now a seminary student, as somebody who's preparing to be a husband. There's just a lot of different ways that Jesus continues to transform us, and we need to be ready to share the story. So my hope is that as all of you hear my story, um, that you would be able to think maybe about understanding a little bit more about who Jesus is, think more about understanding for yourself maybe different ways that you've seen Jesus work in your life. My hope is that we would see um, that freedom is available to all of us. Amen. And the call for us is to share our stories of how God has set us free, to share stories about how Jesus, as the humble king, has come to serve, and he has served us in so many different ways. Church, this is our collective call. You have a story. Your story is important, and there are people who have lost hope who desperately need to hear this story. My hope is that it wouldn't just be um, a practice that we begin today and you know we tell our stories until Good Friday to bring people into the church or tell our stories until Easter to bring people to Easter Sunday, but that for the rest of our lives we would continue to grow in that boldness to be able to share these are the ways that God has worked in my life. And to even ask people, how is God working in your life? Do you believe in God? And to be able to talk about these things because these things have eternal significance. And we should live as people that um, love the world so deeply, the same way Jesus loved the world, enough to say, you know, I know that these people are going to scorn me. I know that these people are going to um, reject me, but I have to go anyway, and I have to share the story so that they may potentially see the same freedom. The good news is that Jesus has come. Jesus is coming and he will come again. And when he comes again, he will make all things new. He will make all things new. Let it be so. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for your scripture, for your word that speaks for itself. We thank you, God, for the different ways that you use um, all of us in our brokenness. I thank you, God, for the voice that you've given me, Lord, the voice that you've given each of us, Lord, the stories that you've given us to share with the world, Lord, so that they may know that you are king, so that they may know that you are a wonderful, merciful Savior, so that they may know that um, you are the one who died, Lord, who rose, and who is coming again in all glory. God, I pray that each of us, Lord, um, whether we are Christians or not, would see um, the way that you are working in this world, that we would see the ways that um, creation just continues to speak of the ways that you are working and continues to show different parts of your identity, God. And I pray that you would help us to see those things clearly. I pray, God, that you would um, comfort us in these times, Lord. Comfort us as we uh, mourn different things that are happening in this world, God. 
Let us celebrate your triumphant entrance, your presence with us, but also let us remember um, that this season is a hard one for many people as well. And there are many people that are hurting, longing for your coming again. God, we thank you again for this time. And would you write your word on our hearts, God, and let us be transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's stand together as we respond to the good news that Jesus has come. He's coming again. And with eyes of faith, people hope that he's coming will shape and change the whole world.